Hello and welcome to Potshot. I'm Alex Towles and this week I'm joined by Seb and Lorcan as we are going to take a look at the 5-0 drubbing of Sheffield United from the weekend as well as a little look back even further to the Sevilla match. But before we get into any of that, you've just rocked up at five, spider side, all right? Right now, you go down the go down your local pitch, rock up to five side. You can either face a team of 25 10-year-olds or one Eddie and Ketia. Who would you rather face? So you've got the rest of a five-a-side team alongside you. Seb. I mean, if it's simply five against one, I think you'd have to take Eddie Nketiah, even though he'd probably still do a lot of things in the moments he has the ball, but five against one, that's that's simple. Those 25 would swarm you to death. Logan. Yeah, I, I feel like I probably have I probably have the same answer, um, independent of getting to meet Eddie Nketiah as well, which would be quite cool. Um, although I, I do think yeah, it would be true. quite fun to like bundle over a bunch of kids with no yeah. ramifications. So there's that consideration as well. well I, I think the core of this question is, would you rather be hunted down by the pressing machine that is Eddie and Ketia, or the pressing machine is 25 boundless energy 10-year-olds? So I, I think, yeah, Eddie and Ketia is probably the answer. But also, you've seen those videos of like, professional footballers, two of them taking on like 50 school children and absolutely ruining their day. I reckon one of one professional footballer could probably do something similar to a five-a-side team. Maybe. Anyway, this question was badly thought out, um, but that's fine. We'll move swiftly on to the actual matches from this week. So, after a turbulent away victory against Sevilla in the Champions League, Arsenal welcomed Sheffield United to the Emirates. The visitors were predictably compact and, over large periods, only engaged Arsenal in their own defensive third. After 28 minutes of probing, Declan Rice decided to make something happen himself, finding Eddie Nketiah in the box, whose first touch gave him the space to convert for 1-0. In the second half, things became even more one-sided. A set-piece routine saw Eddie get his second on 50 minutes before a powerful effort from outside the box sealed his hat-trick minutes later. Arsenal then controlled proceedings with two substitutes able to leave their mark. First, Fabio Vieira drew a foul in the area and converted the resulting penalty before Tomiyasu was able to score from a corner from a flick-on from a third substitute, Mohamed Elneny. Before we dig into any hardcore analysis of this game, we need to start off by giving Eddie Nketiah his flowers, and I need to hold my hand up, hands up and apologise, because in our pre-season predictions, we had a question that was, would we get more away wins versus top eight teams, or Eddie Nketiah league goals this season? And I specifically said that Eddie Nketiah would score three league goals. Obviously, he has now matched that tally in this one game. And if you add it to the two goals he scored before this season, he's now got five. So I'm very sorry, Eddie, for ever doubting you. Um, it's my fault for believing that Gabriel Jesus would ever stay fit. If I'd had a magic ball, if I'd had a crystal ball and seen the future that Gabby Jesus would be unreliable with his fitness this season, I would probably not have said that. But hey, that's by the by, I must 
take the L's as they are handed to me, as they say. Um, Lorcan, you've done a thread on Twitter earlier about how great Eddie was. Can you go into a little bit of depth on what you thought? What were, what were the highlights of his performance at the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think he had, he had obviously had a brilliant game. Um, I think sometimes he, I mean, as I, yeah, I said on Twitter, I said sometimes he's somewhat guilty of, of letting games pass him by um, just because he doesn't necessarily impose himself. He doesn't find it as easy to imp- impose himself on the game as other strikers. So I compared him to, say, Jesus, our other striker, who will come deep as a reception option if he's not finding the ball, um, who's very associative. Or someone like, I don't know, Osimhen Haaland, who will run the channels. He's a physical bully who will dominate the box. Um, and he almost feels, feels like he's somewhere in between some of the time. And I think the game on the weekend was a good example of him having really worked on his all-around game. And we saw him running the channels. We saw him, uh, yeah, coming short to make runs, not always receiving it, actually. Um, some link-up play. And I, I'm just really impressed with how he's sort of impressed his all-around game. And then, of course, like, for the fir- the first goal was amazing, how he took it with his first touch to um, in his stride. And then the third goal was, was even better. Um, and I think we haven't, we haven't seen so much of that, at least from memory of Eddie, shots outside the box. Um, so I just think it was a really mature performance um, and he was pretty relentless. Yeah, yeah. Um, that third goal in particular was absolute magic, wasn't it? Just a howitzer from, what, 25 yards? Um, a less, we'll, we'll get on to Sheffield United's less than stellar defensive performance later. But uh, yeah, you shouldn't really stand off a bloke on a hat-trick like that. But hey, it's what it is. Uh, Seb, what did you make of it? Yeah, I can only really echo what Logan just said. He he summed it up pretty perfectly. Uh, his his associative game was quite good this game. I I must admit I was a bit disappointed seeing him in the nine instead of Kai. Um, and and you brought up the the preseason predictions. Mine look even worse because uh, I bought so far into the Balogun hype that I had completely written Eddie out of the club, which uh, many people have done over many years, and it never looked good. Uh, in any in any case, but yeah, um, really impressed with with the way he scored his goals. Though there are some goals that he scores that really have a nice aesthetic value to them. The first one's definitely one of those. Uh, the one against West Ham last season, where he uh, put his back into the defender, rolled him, and then converted, was one of them. And I think the the long range one. I think that's his first long range goal of his entire Arsenal career. Uh, like goal outside of the box. Um, and what what's added to that is the aesthetic value of him literally putting his entire body weight behind it uh, to to get that that devastation on it. So yeah, um, really good game from him. Really good. Um, he's he's nailed on now as the guy who's going to start when when Jesus isn't there, and I think that's fine. You mentioned there that you were a little bit disappointed to see Eddie up top instead of Kai Havertz, uh, at least. Before he scored a hat trick, but Kai Havertz actually played at right centre mid instead of Martin Erdegaard in probably in what was probably the most surprising selection of the starting lineup for this game. Seb, what did you make of Havertz's performance from right centre mid? I wouldn't say it's necessarily the most surprising, considering 
the last three or four games we've brought him on has been majoritively on the right side. Um, and even when he and Smith Rowe have played together in, I, th- well, I can't remember when, uh, uh, Havertz was also on that side. So, yeah. Um, I think it worked well, especially because we, we were able to create a sort of dynamic to get Saka more inside and more involved uh, with Havertz going out wide and, and occupying that space and having uh, Saka move in field, uh, which then generated a lot of good things for us. Uh, I think he had a sneaky good game. He obviously didn't really impose himself on the game. He, he wasn't as involved as other people were and he didn't pop up with a goal, which he could have done near the end, but hard chance anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought he had a sneaky good game. He, he connected play well. He, he, put up nice dynamics with Saka. They had a nice little combination going there. Yeah. Yeah, I think sneaky good games are a good way to put it. Um, the rotations with Saka were especially quite nice. Uh, like, he was quite fluid moving out into those zones. I, I think he might have had a harder time of it against different opposition. Like, we've seen teams this season really clamp down on our right-hand side stop that link up between Erdegaard and Saka. And it seems Habits and Saka had a little bit more freedom to make that into play than they had than we've seen Erdegaard and Saka have earlier this season. Lorcan? Yeah, I, I will say um I feel like in possession, just to again restate, I suppose, is uh, I think he does his best work closer to goal. So I think him, he just looked like a placeholder on the right for me. Like Saka was given that license to roam. We don't see so much of um, Odegaard holding width like we saw Havertz doing it, as you guys have pointed out. But it's not like he was terribly dynamic on the ball. And I think for someone who, the, the, the stats and the eye test, to be fair, support the fact that he's really good defensively for us. And he's and in the rewatch, it really stood out as a monster on, in second balls, first and second balls, which actually created a few chances, which I didn't clock um, in the first viewing. But I just don't know what he... I don't think he offers that much in possession um, outside of being closer to goal and then also winning those first and second balls. No, I, th- I think that's fair, to be honest. Um, but... Uh, I counterpoint that with if he was just a placeholder, but having a placeholder there allows Saka to get into the half space where he's much more dangerous, then that's absolutely fine and a perfectly effective way of using him. Maybe not the best way to use his specific skill set, but if it unlocks our best player, then I'm fine with that, I think. I suppose the following question then is why haven't we seen that from Erdogan so much this season? Lorcan, do you think it's just as simple as Sheffield United defended that area worse than other teams have this year? No, I think it was more instructional. I think we, we've seen from a couple of Arteta quotes um, and also just the the general vibe we're getting from watching the games. Um, Erdogan second-guessing himself whether to drop into the second phase or into the... Into the to control second phase stuff like he did last season. Um, I think Odegaard's being tasked with sort of staying in that that right half space um, close to the last line. Uh, I, I don't agree with it at all. Um, I think Odegaard, it, given his angle bias, is, is not as effective in those sort of congested areas when he's not given the license to drop and stuff. Um, I, but yeah, I... I 
and as such, I don't think Odegaard's been tasked with sort of being the placeholder right winger um, so much. We have seen it at times, to be fair. Um, but I think, I guess that's a distinction I'd make. Yeah, that's fair. So we touched on it a little bit, talking about how Eddie was really good, but um, Jesus is injured <laughs> again. So we're probably going to be seeing a bit more of Eddie up top, maybe even a bit more of Havertz up top. We'll see how the season plays out. I think Arteta is certainly keen to mix and match his striker choices depending on the opposition that we face. How how much of a knock do you think it's going to be to the team's overall performance if Jesus is not going to be able to be a consistent starter, Seth? It's a pretty big detriment to the team. I mean, Sevilla was another great showcase of how good Jesus is uh, when he plays in the nine and how much dynamism he offers when he drops, when he uh, can spin in behind, when he can associate with his teammates. Especially when him and Martinelli are on the pitch at the same time, their dynamic works extremely well together. So we lose that. We lose the ability to have him uh, switching out on the wing and having Martinelli more central, which is even less so this season, but is generally something that's quite helpful. And he's just an, a really, really good all-around player. And as much as Eddie is is doing well, and he, he's a, he's an entirely different profile to him, uh, the, the benefit we have is that we have a couple of players who can offer up different roles when playing in the nines. So we can have Eddie in games where we dominate and need an additional box presence. We can have Harvards there if we need someone uh, to, to play over the press with. We can have Trossard there if we want a, a small space connector who who can drop and, and associate. So we're pretty well stacked profile wise, but but we'll lose the the, the qualitative edge that that Jesus gives us in playing there. Yeah, I I, I, I completely agree with that. I think um, as Seb said, it's like we we can replace facets of Jesus's game, say by playing Trossard false nine, some of that associative play, but. Jesus is the most well-rounded of them all. However, we saw last season we were able to cope in his absence with Nketiah at striker. Um, but it's an interesting one. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, just looking forward to Newcastle. I would have said um, Havertz was the striker I would have wanted for that game to play over their stress, their their press, which is already <laughs> stressing me out. Um, but I don't now. You know, I think you probably have to reward Eddie Nketiah for scoring a hat trick. Um, of goals so yeah no I think we're equipped to deal with it um, some of the issues we've had this season have been to do with with central incision as we talked about and Jesus at nine really does help with that so one does wonder whether um, someone who can replicate that sort of movement coming short and being an extra body in the half spaces um, is the way to go with Trossard I probably think that's probably the least likely thing that's going to happen for other reasons but yeah I think we're equipped to do it it's, it'll be interesting how Arteta sort of schemes things up. Hmm. You mentioned the, the the central incision problems that we've had quite a bit this season. Scoring five goals suggests that it wasn't much of an issue in this game in particular. Why, Lorcan, why do you think that is? Yeah, I think, so if I had to put on my boring hat for a second, of the, fi- <laughs> of the five goals, two were uh, from corners, which we know we're already good at. Um, we did amass, what, about 3xG, um, depending on which XG model you use. 
um, and 12 deep completions, which are uh, passes received within 20 yards of the goal from a passer from outside of that area, if that makes sense. Hopefully it does. But yeah, I think I think generally Sheffield United uh, were relatively easy to pay, to play through. Um, they relied a lot on shadow covering, sort of access into the middle, and we were able to manipulate that quite well with how we staggered the movements of both of our pivots. So I think Zinchenko and Rice, particularly Zinchenko, had really good games. We were able to sort of draw the markers out of the area and then make those passes that we've sorely missed um, this season. And it was quite refreshing to see. Um, I also, uh, there was a sense of rhythm in the game as well at times, um, especially after the first goal. I think we had 29 um, 10 plus pass sequences, which is quite nice to, quite a little stat to look at. Um, and then a few good central combinations once we did find ourselves in those areas. Um, not loads, to be fair, um, but some within Ketchia and Smith Rowe, um, a few layoffs with Havertz. So yeah, I, I, I think... In some, I, I don't know how how different, for example, was it from the Fulham game, which I think we completely dominated. Um, maybe the quality of our... Nottingham Forest as well. Yeah, yeah. I think the quality of our box entries might have been a little bit better. Um, but at the same time, yeah, maybe 5-0 is a bit flattering. Uh, not in that Sheffield United ever had a chance, but just in terms of our the quality of our chance creation, which is still a bit of an issue, I think. Yeah, and Eddie did kind of score his first three shots. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as if he was battering the door down. Um, as, as you were talking then, you, you breezed past this concept of uh, staggered pivots. And I do want to zoom in on that, but we're going to do that in just a second. Um, before we move on from our attacking prolificness, there's a better word than that, but I've forgotten it. Um, Seb, well, what do you make of our attacking performance this game? Um, Logan mentioned it, and I think it's important to mention that, again, two Sepil's goals that were virtually identical, a pattern that Sheffield didn't really defend very well, uh, a penalty that came towards the end of the game, and then a shot Eddie manufactured brilliantly, but had a lot of work to do in a sequence where we were playing around the block at a pace where even the Emirates started to 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 jeer the team. Um, and then just just a screamer outside of the box. Um, yeah, the fact the fact that Sheffield were so so conservative and so deep and so compact meant that we just had the territory and Saliba when we had goalkeepers was just able to move the ball to the halfway line and then start our our, our passing patterns. Um, and from that perspective, we we did well. I, th- I think it helped that we had Saliba and Kivio there, plus plus White, who are all three really, really good. Just incredible. Uh, and progressing like, from deep. and Passes yeah. to half from deep, just insane. Yeah. yeah, all three can manufacture angles incredibly well. Uh, so that definitely helped. Zinchenko also a really good game. Rice, I think, uh, played really well. More conservative than in the games where he was an eight, obviously. Uh, but but, but sh- steered the ship really well, as it were. Um, so I think the performance of our back five in uh, two three basically uh, was was really good, um, but then again, very very dependent on a very very passive block. It is just remarkable how we can physically dominate these relegation teams. Like it's just not what I'm used to seeing from growing yeah. up and watching yeah. 
And obviously, like we talk about Sheffield United who hardly pose any of a threat, but then there were two or three moments where they were looking to launch a transition and then you just run into Saliba and Rice who are just like monsters. I was just about to say, there were a few moments where I think it was Brewster ran into Saliba and he just shrugged him off like a school, <laughs> ch- like a school child. Yeah. Like they were, they, they were just not on the same physical level as each other. It, which is crazy to say about an Arsenal team. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's quite funny. Uh, so I obviously didn't watch the game live because the three o'clock blackout in the United Kingdom means that that is illegal. Um, but I did watch the game uh, through the Arsenal website, which if you didn't know, you can do. Um, make yourself a free account on the Arsenal website and then 24 hours after the game, they will they post like the full match um, with like club commentators. So the... Arsenal commentators whose name escaped me, apologies, uh, if you're for some reason listening to Potshot, uh, we are massive, so they might be. Um, but yeah, their commentary amused me because uh, the co-commentator was talking about how how he liked how much respect Sheffield United were giving us. And he was like, it's nice of them to not be, uh, not be as nasty physically or these weren't his exact words but but essentially he was talking about how it's nice not to have like people trying to go after us physically and like the amount of respect that the Sheffield United players showed our team and it was really funny to hear that said in a positive light because obviously do you hear that negatively a lot it was like you'll hear an opposition manager come and say oh we've showed them too much respect been too passive which I think is an entirely correct assessment of Sheffield United's performance in this game but it was just very funny to hear that said as like, oh, it's nice. They're just being nice blokes about it. <laughs> it's a beautiful, like, unconscious uh, discreditation and sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, dig at United. Just like, yeah, this small team came here. They weren't very mean to us. They just know, knew their place. They defended a bit. Let us score some goals. That's fine. <laughs> Condescending is the word I was looking for. Yeah, it is a little bit condescending, but <laughs> uh, it is quite funny. So I highlighted something that Lorcan said earlier, put a pin in it, and I want to return to it. Uh, Lorcan, you spoke about how we were staggering our pivots, which is perfectly fine words to say. And when I see what you're talking about in front of me in an image... I know exactly what you're talking about. Unfortunately, listeners to this podcast do not have the luxury of images to go along with our words. So I think we need to dig into that a little bit deeper uh, and talk about exactly what you mean there. So when we're talking about staggering the pivots, what do you mean? Yeah, so I've talked generally, I think, ad nauseum about pivots and, and the pivot dynamics this season. But when I say staggering pivots, I just mean the staggering the movement. Um, particularly the vertical movement, so between each goals rather than horizontal or lateral um, movement of the pivots, but it does include obviously all movement, um, which is to say that normally, I guess if you took a screenshot of of any game and we're building in a 3-2, you'd see the two pivots standing in the same broadly lateral line. Um, And because there was quite a lot of scope to manipulate their first two lines of so-called pressure, as you just said, there wasn't that much pressure um, to create passing um, angles from the first line to the second line. 
um, there was quite a lot of staggering movement. So again, what I mean by that is one pivot remaining slightly higher and one coming shorter. And uh, there's sort of being a movement counter movement dynamic where we can manipulate those sort of their, their shadow covering, which is what they were attempting to do. And I think we did that quite well. Um, yeah, I, I hope that explains most of what I was trying to get at. <laughs> yeah, so what we've got is we've got our 3-2 shape with the back three of White, Saliba, and um, Kivior in this game. And then the double pivot in front is Rice and Zinchenko. And as Lorkin says, like you'd normally expect... Like when you imagine that on like a tactics board, say you're imagining Rice and Zinchenko next to each other in front of that line of three, but that's not really what we saw very often at all in this game in possession. Most of the time, one of the two was dropping back towards the defensive line and one of the two was pushing up a little bit more. Uh, and what that meant is they could play kind of like one twos, but like a one, two, three, where it goes from Rice to Zinchenko to, say, Ben White, who's further up the pitch. And that allows us to progress with one with these like one-touch passes and break lines really, really easily. Um, I suppose, just to take a, a literal example, if you're staggering your movement short, you're obviously getting closer to, let's say, Saliba, who normally has the ball on the first line. Mm. Um, so therefore you're, therefore, you're a much more local passing option. Um, so the the corresponding defender will feel more inclined to cover you off or, or man mark you, and in so doing, sacrifice sort of the structural integrity of their block. And suddenly, there's another space opening, which may be directly to the other pivot, who's just stayed still. Um, there's a beauty to just staying still in these moments sometimes. Um, but yeah, it just it, it forces sort of these zonal blocks which have which are man oriented in specific circumstances when you know um there's specific triggers for it um and i think we did that quite well although we, i think we could have, i tweeted about it, i think we could have done even better uh in, in using the pivot as a wall pass um by which i mean sort of a pass from just a one-touch pass yeah just like yeah. in from one yeah, player exactly. back out to another immediately yeah um and yeah, it's it's, you know, it's something that I we you really saw a lot, especially in the first half of this game. If you go back and you watch the first half again, which, as I said, you can do. It's on the Arsenal website. It's free. Like, you will be able to see this happening quite a lot, where the ball goes centre-back, pivot, out. Uh, and they, we just bypass Sheffield United really quite easily. Go on. I think one last thing to add. I suppose it's, it's almost implicit in in the, the the word staggering but it's like this element of going back and forth of of fluctuating that movement and i think yeah we've completely seen us um not have that rigid three two structure i think that's uh with the, with the pivots vacating the center but so often particularly because rice likes to receive facing play and we don't necessarily have both Partey and zinchenko fit like we did last season so we've adapted to that. So I think we were a bit more staggered today rather. So we weren't, the pivots weren't, it wasn't an either or situation of them rooted in the block or v shuttling out to to receive it facing play as part of the first line. 
it was a bit more in between. Um, so there's a bit more unpredictability there, which is nice to see. Yeah, I mean, that's part and parcel of the passivity of what Sheffield United were doing, wasn't it? Yeah. Because Sheffield United weren't pushing up high enough that Rice and Zinchenko just being static in the pivot was actually inside of their block most of the time. Most of the time, they were sitting off so far that Rice and Zinchenko were outside of the pivot very naturally. And so you kind of had to stagger it. Zinchenko or Rice had to move up to be part of the block to then manoeuvre it around. After that little bit of in-depth tactical discussion, I think it's probably a good time to take a break. Uh, Let us call off, let you call off by listening to this jingle. And then afterwards, we will dig into this game once again. And we're back. What a lovely break that was. I hope you spent that five seconds reminiscing about Eddie Nketiah's hat-trick goal. Now it's time to talk about another Hailender who had a start in this game. Emil Smith-Rowe is a player who the fan base have been clamouring for for the majority of the last forever, uh, and he finally got his first league start of the season in this game. Seb, what did you make of him in the left central midfield role? I mean, I was just genuinely extremely happy to see him on the team sheet. Uh, The rumour came out like a few minutes before and it just really put a smile on my face seeing him there. First start he had since I think 550 days ago. Newcastle away in the 21-22 season, so that's a hell of a long time. Um, I think I, I think he looked good. I thought he was a bit safe and a bit within himself. Uh, he, he didn't drive as much as, as he maybe could have and there were a few moments where he could uh, drive with the ball or just progress it a bit. Uh, but it being a gen, a, the general thing that we were sort of keeping keeping the ball, keeping our pace, it did feel like a bit instructional to have him as more of a retentional player on the on the left side. Um, he did get the assist for Eddie Skull, even though you could hardly call that an assist uh, with what the goal ended up being. Uh, but I, I think he did well enough to warrant uh, starting in the West Ham game, and if he kicks on from there. I'd be super happy. I, I think he, he does have the general profile to to fit that left eight spot. Um, he it's really down to him performing and and keeping a level of consistency both in his play and m- more crucially in his availability for him to really get back into the Arsenal team. Players have shown in the past that's possible. Uh, Tomiyasu was a ghost last season and is now once again a really important member of the squad. Eddie. Nelson as well, who was basically out of the club and and sort of reintegrated himself into an important piece. So it's it's there to be done for him, and I really hope he could do it because we need a player like him. I think. Lorcan, you've you've been very vocal in your opinions uh, on various personnel who have occupied the left eight spot over the course of the season so far. What do you make of Smith Rowe as a candidate? Yeah, I think it's imperfect. I, I prefer him on the right um, for squad dynamics and for him in general. Um, I, I think he's he's good in that left half space in sort of like a 4-2-3-1 where he's the, the wider forward and, and can wander into that space. Um, I'm not as keen 
as him starting a left eight, just because I think that requires, especially when you're facing play as well, requires some second phase duties, and he's not that. And I, I think it's a bit harsh on him, um, judging him based off these performances. Also, we've talked about the fact he's somewhat of a rhythm player as well. So, you yeah. know, um, I don't love it. It's why I wanted a, a left eight in the summer. Um, I don't, I, despite the abundance of, of interiors we could we, or players who we could field as interiors. Um, I'm counting people like Trossard in this as well because we've seen him play the left eight in, in the preseason games. Um, I don't think anyone fits it quite too well. Um, without us making some wholesale changes to to dynamics. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's cool to see in league games. I don't know if there's I don't know if what if there's anyone who's a better fit. Um, I think in possession, I, I, I think Trossard's probably a better fit, but then what do you do? Who's the right eight in that scenario? And so on and so forth. So yeah, I, 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 pref- I would prefer him as a right eight, but again, there are so many candidates for that um, position as well. So yeah, I think what we can all agree on is we hope that Smith Rowe is able to be a effective contributor to this squad, whether it be as a regular starter or as a more bit part piece. Um, obviously, we've got the West Ham game coming up this midweek tomorrow as this pod is released. I personally don't see him starting that game just because of the extreme care which has been taken with managing his minutes so far this season. Like, we all saw him start the last Carabao Cup game, I think it was, and everyone was clamouring for him to get a start in the league the game after, and he didn't get on the pitch because they were managing his minutes a lot. So for that reason, I do not see him starting two games within, what, four or five days. That does imply that we'll go more full strength in this Carabao Cup tie than I think many fans would like. Um, we're not going to talk about the Carabao Cup game here in any depth because we've got the Sevilla game to look back on as well and then the Newcastle game to look forward to on the weekend. Um, but I will quickly ask, say we're playing football manager and you've got the quick pick buttons. You've got the options slight rotation, more rotation or full rotation. Lorcan, which one are you going for for this Carabao Cup game? Um, full rotation. I, I I can tell you because I I thought about it today. I want to see Ramsdale. I I did put Cedric in the first draft, but that's just not going to happen. I don't think. <laughs> so I'll do Ramsdale White. I want to see Tomiyasu instead of Saliba. I know this is not going to happen, by the way. But Tomiyasu instead of Saliba. Gabriel. I'm okay with uh, Kivior. Jorginho. I, I can't remember the rest. We have so many forwards that I, I want a wholesale change, basically. I don't want to see Saka or Martinelli or Saliba and preferably not Rice, although he's a bit of a machine, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I do not see that happening in a million years. Uh, Seb, slight rotation, more rotation or full rotation in your ideal world? Depends on where you put, what would you class as rotation? Because Jorginho has ostensibly been a player that's played significant Premier League minutes. So if he comes in as that rotation... Or is it just rotation from this game onwards? I class Jorginho coming in as rotation because he didn't play this week. Yeah, okay. From that point of view, yeah, I think 
wholesale rotation probably not i think kivio will continue i think white probably has to continue um who else do we have um yeah we we don't have the license to rotate that much in the back just yeah. because you know we're so injury ridden in that department very true i do think both ml smith and kai havertz probably start this game I, I do find it feasible for smith to play both of these games um he did play a significant amount of minutes against Bournemouth after he played the Carabao Cup game. I think he played about 35 at Bournemouth and 80-something against uh, against Brentford. So I do find it feasible to have him there, perhaps uh, rotate him out a bit uh, at some point. And then guys like Nelson coming in, Eddie probably keeping his place. But he, he seems to uh, do well with the load he's having. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with Logan that Saka, Martinelli, and and Saliba especially are the three that I'd be really keen to to leave out of this game. Yeah, um, for me, I think one one of Saka and Martinelli is going to start because I think with Jesus out, we don't have the quality in depth that Arteta would like to see across the front line. Uh, so I think true, yeah. at least one of Saka and Martinelli will start. Um, it would be cool to see like Cozy and Jubri get a start. I don't think it'll happen, oh yeah, but... like, it'd be great. It won't, it's not going to happen though. Like if we'd drawn like, I don't know, I was going to say Scunthorpe, but they are not even a, they're a National League North side at the mm. moment. But you know <laughs> what I mean? If we'd drawn like a League 2 team, then we would have uh, probably seen a little bit more of the youth players. But I think with this being in a way to away tie against the Premier League side. I think we're going to see a relatively strong team. Um, I, I do think it's quite funny how at the start of the season we were all talking about how we want to win a trophy uh, and the Carabao Cup is probably the best chance and yet here we are all saying that we'd rather sack it off. I, I didn't count that. I never counted that as a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> the Carabao Bobbins as it's known by so many. I will say though, since, since Alex isn't on the pod, I, I find it my duty to say that this is probably a really good game to give, um, uh, uh, I forgot his name, Rule Waters uh, a start uh, in, in the defensive line, just to give someone a rest, uh, give, give Rule sure. some minutes. Chuck Let's in Rule Waters. Um, now, now we've said it, Alex can be happy. Um, while we're on the topic, I do want to give a quick shout out to the TIFO podcast because this week's episode is on injuries and like player fitness in football. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, go and listen to it. Friend of the show, John McKenzie is joined by uh, Callum Walsh, who is a professional performance manager, like in the professional game, worked with Newcastle United, Huddersfield Town, loads of clubs. Um, it's provides such a fantastic insight into like the way that, the professional game sees player fitness and how how the way we see it as fans is similar, how the way we look at it is different. It's, it's just a fantastic podcast. Go, go and listen to it. It's eye-opening. So before we look ahead anymore, let's look back again at the Sevilla game. A 2-1 away victory uh, with... Gabriel Jesus running the show, getting a assist for Gabriel Martinelli in the first half, and then a goal of his own in the second, um, before 
going off with a tweak that we now know is going to keep him out for just a, a little while, a few weeks. But it's another annoying little injury niggle. That result leaves us top of the group after three games with six points. At this halfway point of the Champions League group stage, how are we feeling about it, Lorcan? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, I was happy with the the well, yeah, the result and some of the performance against Sevilla. I think it's a, it's about getting those three points. Um, Sevilla like mid table, but it is notoriously especially hard to to win at these Spanish grounds, as Arteta did point out. I don't. Th- I think English teams have a really bad record. Um, I think we we soaked up the pressure quite well. We also did it very readily against Sevilla, which was. Annoying, but the other side of that is we have a really good mid and low block. That's one of the benefits of of Arteta's sort of coaching style. Uh, I thought Jesus was excellent. I thought Tommy Asu was excellent, who I think we should probably mention for this game as well. Um, It's really good to see him sort of back to his best. Um, But yeah, feeling good, feeling optimistic. um, And I do just have that sort of horrible big club mentality of well we'll just get out of the group stage and beat these teams won't we um but i think it was a good reminder last week now um that these games are really difficult regardless of sort of form and all that stuff i mean we had that reminder in the last one we'd lost to lons but yeah just by the by um <laughs> Seb, there were points in this game where it looks like we found it really easy and then points where it looked like we found it quite hard what were your feelings on the performance as a whole yeah i'm i don't really have the best recollection of it if i'm being honest it's been a while since that game happened uh i remember it left me in a really bad mood because i i'm not the biggest fan of our tendency to to sit on leads and soak up pressure uh and it just makes for a really uncomfortable game at points um i i do think there were some pretty interesting things in there tommy has role especially logan mentioned him uh, not just out of possession where he was excellent. He did have an interesting role in possession. We played with Rice as the ostensibly the left aid. Um, and there were a lot of sequences where Rice was deeper and sort of forming the double pivot with Tomiyasu being ahead of him inside the left half space, uh, offering up a, a bounce option for, for uh, wide players there, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. It was also another game where a recurring theme this season is is the the Raya discourse, and I just think it's it's gone to a place where it's it's so over the top. And we know why Raya's in the team. We we know it's instructional and and tactical more than anything. So constantly complaining about performances isn't really helping, especially f- from the fans themselves. And the attitude he gets in home games is is something I'm I'm not too keen on. But I'm I'm never going to tell anyone how to support their team. Um. I find it ridiculous that that rival fans and especially rival players, Newcastle players, are being asked about the Arsenal goalkeeper situation, which is just a ridiculous thing to me. Um, but but gen- the general state of play in the Champions League, as it were, I, I think we've done quite well so far. The Lons game is is a blip and something that was largely down, in my opinion, to to the lack of dynamism we had on the wings, especially after Saka went off. Having Tross and, and Vieira there is just a really bad, bad situation. But generally, I think we look in a good position to progress. Uh, we, we've done well to, to get the points in Sevilla, who, as Logan said, are a really tough ground in Europe. 
Manchester United can tell you all about that last season in, in the Europa League. Um, so so I, I suppose it's good to, to get out of there with the three points. Um, high point was definitely Sergio Ramos, him still having him, him still having it. I really like him. Mm. The, that bullying mentality <laughs> that he's famed for. Um, he's just genuinely also at nearly 40 years old still an exceptionally good defender. Mm. There's just something about that like generation of defenders, isn't there? Like Pepe's still yeah. kicking. I think he didn't he pick up like oldest outfields player ever uh, in the last Champions League round. Like, or well, not oldest outfield player ever, ever, but oldest outfield player to start a Champions League game or something like that uh, in his most recent appearance for Porto. Like the fact that these guys are still trucking a good ten years on. Uh, from when they were together at the back for Real Madrid is quite quite fun. Somehow Carvajal still starting for being pushed out onto the right flank and Marcelo's in some what Fluminense in in Brazil. Fluminense, yeah, yeah. Fluminense in Brazil. Yeah, I think the most um, remarkable thing about Carvajal still starting is that he's thirty. I think. Oh my god! In my head, he's about thirty-six, and he's playing like yeah, he's about like, thirty-six. Oh my <laughs> god! He's, he's, he's only thirty-one. Not- Wow. He's 31, yeah. Anyway, brief tangent about the Real Madrid backline aside, uh, let's look forward once again to the weekend where we face Newcastle away in what has quickly become one of the toughest fixtures in the Premier League calendar. Not just because St. James's Park is a cauldron, but because Newcastle, this season especially, really quite good. Lorcan, what's one thing that gives you confidence going into this game and one thing that makes you nervous? The thing that makes me nervous is just how, first of all, the atmosphere, but also how intense they are in the press, how many players they can have, especially in the middle of the park, who can just cover ground and eat up space um, and how that can sway momentum. But equally, uh, the thing that makes me comfortable, which I mentioned a bit before, is just how we can compete with anyone physically um, and we have a really good away record so in that vein for example I expect, I expect Gabriel to be back in the team to start a left centre back um, it is interesting actually because we won uh, at St James's Park last year was it 2-0 in the end with a midfield three of Jorginho Odegaard and Shaka, um, which I was like shitting at all game but you know we were, we were able to sort of decompact them quite well from memory so it'll be interesting. I fully expect Odegaard to be back in the team if he is fit. I, I think he is, right? I think it's just a little a little niggle. Um, but yeah, our, basically our, our ability to compete with them physically and I think this is where our, our um, tactical malleability sort of comes back in because we can we can ride out different game stains, which will be very important against a, a Newcastle side that relies on sort of those sways and momentum and, and on the crowd. Um but yeah, I, I think that's all I have to say about it. I, I, like I said, I would have wanted Havertz as the striker, <laughs> and I'm, I'm still like halfway there. Um, but I, it'd be incredibly harsh to punish Eddie. Um, and then it, yeah, just I, I think it will be interesting to see whether perhaps Jorginho starts. I don't think he, with uh, Declan Rice as the eight. Um, if we employ sort of approach which is more focused on the out of possession stuff, I don't think we'll see that happen. Um, but in the same vein, we could. Do you think it's outside the realms of possibility that Erdogan 
starts this game on the bench. Yes. Yeah, fair. I, I can kind I can half see it where like we're in like a quasi four four two where we have Nketiah and Havertz leading the press. Uh and like I think Havertz just stays high all the time. Uh, but yeah, the guy is the captain and amazing out of possession and blah blah blah. Form book goes out the window in games like this. Uh Seb. What's one thing that makes you nervous and one thing that makes you confident going into this weekend's game? I think everything that makes me nervous has already been covered by Lorcan. They are incredibly physical and incredibly good in the press and St. James Park can be really, really ugly to play in. Um, what I think makes me less nervous about the game is twofold, both one that we're catching them at a really good time, I think, uh, especially considering Botman is still out injured. Uh, LaSalle is playing for them, who is a definite weak point in their defense. Burn can still be got at, um, even though he he hasn't put up uh, hasn't really pulled up any trees. Zandro uh, Tonali being out is also a, a minus for them, even though it seems like Joe Willock will be back, which then again is something that scares me a bit. What um, a footballer! I, I love I love Joe Willock so much. The timing of the game also is is a bit in our favor, considering they're playing uh, Dortmund after that in the Champions League, and them having lost to Dortmund at St James's Park puts pressure on them to perform in that game if they want to have a chance to progress. Which I do think they have. Dortmund aren't very good, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> are are to be got at with, with that Newcastle press. So I think they could cause them some issues, but that would probably mean having to scale it down a bit. In the, in the game beforehand. So I think that is something that we can use to our advantage. I think we have the personnel to hurt them. I do think it'll be Jorginho and, and Rice in the six and eight, respectively. Considering we've done it at Chelsea, at Sevilla, and at uh, City now, it seems to be our default against the better team, so to speak. Um, I, yeah, I think, especially considering Jorginho had a really, really good game in St. James Park last season, I expect that to be the case. And I'm I'm quietly optimistic about the whole thing. Yeah, I, I think I, I've made you to answer my question, so I will answer my own. Um, I think the thing that makes me uh, confident going into this game is I'm pretty confident we will be able to stifle them in in, in attack. I think we've seen that teams that go to St James's Park and. With, with like a really, really good block and ask them to play through it, uh, have found success. Like Newcastle beat them 1-0 at St. James's Park. Obviously that Liverpool Newcastle game- Newcastle beat Newcastle? The... No, 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 no. Oh, Dortmund, sorry. <laughs> Dortmund beat them in the Champions League at St. James's Park, apologies. Yeah. Um, Liverpool beat them 2-1. Uh, obviously that game with the Van Dyke red card where they just kind of- camped out in their own box for 45 minutes and Newcastle couldn't do anything about it. And I think Lamazia Moyes to take a turn <laughs> coined by friend of the pod, Billy Carpenter, will uh, relish the opportunity to force them to play through us and try and just keep them contained with our out-of-possession play. The thing that makes me nervous is I worry we will not be able to create a single chance against them. We've struggled with our chance creation this season, and I can see us struggling 
in our chance creation again. I think this will be a really important game for Gabriel Martinelli. If we can spring him on the break like we did in Spain against Sevilla, I think that will be our best chance of doing anything against Newcastle. We did that quite well in the, um, this fixture of last year in St. James's Park. We were <clears> very good in transition. Yeah. Both both goals, I think, came from transition. If we can get at them in transition again, uh, I think we can hurt them. My worry is that with Jesus missing uh, and, and Eddie and Ketty are up top, not not that Ketty is bad in transition, but like he doesn't provide a hold-up play that Jesus or Havertz do. Uh, I worry that we might struggle to get at them in transition. Hopefully we will. We might not. I just um, I just clocked it's but, a five thirty game and in, in oh, coming out of my hell. in coming out of my <laughs> seminar today I remarked that it does get dark at six PM in the UK now. So mm. it's something about St James's Park it gets under dark the lights. At 5 PM in the UK now. Does it? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 well it was starting. Uh, yeah, at yeah. Fair is fair. Um, so yeah, that's that's something mm. I guess. PTSD. Saturday night under the lights. At I, I was just Park. about to I was just about to mention that that St James's Park is really only that big of a cauldron when it's dark out and it's a night game and that. But we have a good. Okay, I'm, I'm going to change my answer. That's the thing that's terrifying. Really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, regardless of whether you are confident or nervous, uh, the one thing I think we can all agree on is that it's a big game and it should be a tasty tasty affair so we will leave you looking forward to that thank you very much for listening thank you to seb and lorcan for joining me this episode if you would like to find more of their thoughts you can find their twitter accounts in the description as you can find the twitter accounts for all of the pot shot crew and the show itself uh, of course which is at pot shot pod you can also find us on blue sky and instagram under the same handle Make sure you check out the women's pod. Um, It's in the same feed as this pod. You may have seen episode one went out a few weeks ago. Episode two went out over the course of this weekend. So make sure you go and give that a listen. It's got Seb, it's got Will, and it's got a guest called Max, which is a very common name for guests on Pop Shot, it seems. Uh, So make sure you go and give that a listen. They provide excellent insight into that side of the arsenal. Thank you to James Blake for making the music. You can find him on all good music platforms at JW Blake. We will see you next week, uh, by which time we will know whether or not we have passed St. James's Park test. Cheers. <laughs>